You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. Everybody happy? You good? Glad to be in church? It's good to see your faces. We love you guys. I don't know if you've ever had uh, a moment or if you ever faced a moment when you felt completely alone. I've had moments like that in my life where I've felt alone. Now, I've been married for 19, for seven, I'm, oh, oh my God, 19 years. Sorry. No, this is why I got me confused because I was going to tell you that I, I, was, I got married at 19 years old. But I've been also married for 19 years. Now you know my age. Shouldn't have said that because, you know, all the math heads, like the math heads. I'm going to have to cut that off. <laughs> um, you, know, you know my age now. But I've been married for 19 years, but I also got married at 19. So I moved from my parents' home to our first apartment. So I've never technically been alone alone. But I've had moments in my life where, where I felt alone. And, and I've... I've I've had those moments where, you know, uh, I felt like nobody really was getting where I, where I was. And I, know if, I don't know if you've ever been there. Seasons where you felt like no one was actually with you. Not that they weren't available, but that nobody was seeing the world or sensing the challenges or carrying the weight or feeling the pressure. And maybe you tried to solve those problems. But those problems that were plaguing you at the time, nobody else completely understood or were aware of them. If you've been in seasons like that, when no one, not your parents, not your friends, maybe not even your spouse, could fully grasp what was going on. And maybe you didn't share because you wanted to protect them. I want to teach you today from Jesus' experience on the cross. And draw from Jesus, from our Lord. Some tools, some lessons, some principles that you can navigate those moments in life. Because we're all going to go through moments in life where the challenge ahead, the thoughts, the worry, the pressure is yours and yours alone. Maybe it's something that you're fighting in your body. Maybe it's a challenge at work. And you can share with people around you, but it's your fight to fight. It's your burden to bear. And all they can do is cheer you on. All they can do is pray for you. All they can do is kind of be there, but you're the one carrying that weight. It's important for us to know today that if we follow Jesus, there's a way, there's a method, there is a a lesson from Christ that we can learn. Now, I don't know what your background is. I don't know what background you come from. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you were an atheist or an agnostic and you're treading the waters of religion and spirituality because you feel like there's something missing on the inside. And maybe even today for you, the idea of a God that you can talk to and interact to seems a little far out. You believe that there is a superpower. You believe that there's some kind of of, of major uh, uh, intelligence or power out there, but this idea of a God that you can talk to and pray to, it's a bit difficult for you to grasp. Let me encourage you today to just open your mind a little bit and just navigate with me in this message as we explore 
an experience that Jesus had in one of the most crucial and painful moments. Probably the most painful moment in his life. See, when we seek God according to the model of devotion that Jesus laid out for us, that pure, unadulterated religion that Jesus leads us to, and then you pray as you're seeking. You come to God and you pray, which means you position your soul, you position your mind and your spirit to speak to God, and you come to that place with reverence, which is not necessarily a physical place, but it's a place that you come to in a state of posture and heart. And you bring God your praise and you bring God your petitions and you bring God your worries and, and your desires. In that place of prayer, you're never alone. In that place where you're connecting to God, you are never alone. You never pray alone. And I don't mean that God is there listening to you. I don't mean that, that God is simply aware of your existence. I mean that the Holy Spirit is there praying with you that Jesus's presence is there praying with you and I'm going to show you that in the scripture today you never pray alone and that's the title of my message today you never pray alone if you're taking notes now most of us know the story of Jesus's last days we know that he was betrayed by Judas you know that he was denied by Peter. It's almost like a culture folklore. We know that. People even who are not church people, they know that. They know that Judas betrayed him and that Peter denied him. We know that he was abandoned by his disciples. We know that he was condemned by the Jews and he was killed by the Romans. And as Jesus was on the cross, alone, hated, rejected, and abandoned, dying in agony, in that moment he prayed a prayer. On the cross, Jesus prayed a prayer. We find that in Mark chapter 15, verse 34. This is what it says. And at the ninth hour, that means 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, there are a couple things that I want to draw from this prayer and I want to highlight. The first is, is what Jesus prayed. What Jesus prayed leads us to believe that he felt alone. And for everyone who has ever felt alone, like no one understands you, like no one cares, Jesus felt like that. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you felt like God just didn't care? Like, God, where are you? God, why? And you've prayed. It was like you were doing your part. God, why? Why? I did everything right. I did not stray. Still this happened to me. God, why have you forsaken me? Why? I was great at my job. Why was I let go? I gave my best to my marriage. Why did it end? My friend was a good person. Somebody who followed Jesus. Helping the world. A believer. Why did she have to die so young? Why did my child get sick? Why? Why did I have to go through that? See, Jesus felt that way. On the cross, he felt that way. So that's what he prayed. God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus, but Jesus' prayer, it was not a random prayer. 
He wasn't praying on a whim or throwing up a couple of Hail Marys and hoping for the best, like sometimes we do. It wasn't even an original prayer. It wasn't even his own prayer. Well, it was, but you might say that it was a borrowed prayer because the prayer Jesus prayed on the cross was a thousand years old, literally, at the time he prayed. It was a thousand-year-old prayer. At the cross, Jesus was praying right from Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 is a very unique psalm. I, I shared with you guys a, a few weeks ago, multiple times, that the psalms, they are structured in, in, in three categories. Every single psalm is one of three categories. All 150 of them. They are either a psalm of lament, they are either a psalm of praise, or they are a psalm of wisdom. Every single psalm, when you read, it's either one of these, except for Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is the only psalm in the scriptures that is both. It's lament and it's praise. It begins with lament and it ends with praise. It's the only psalm that contains both expressions. Now look at how it starts. It starts with the lament. Psalm 22 verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Now I've read the passage where Jesus prayed that many times. And there's always uh, something for us to draw out of it. It's very powerful. But I want you to think that at the cross, in the worst moment of his life, Jesus had a heart. Set in the Psalms. His heart was set on the Psalms and he was praying for it. But here's what I believe. I believe that scriptures record that Jesus quoted the first part of that Psalm. Remember back in those days, the Psalms weren't divided by verses. They are divided by verses for us now. So it's easier for us to, the entire Bible actually is divided by chapter and verses for us. But back in those days, it was just the song. 22, that song. And it was a Psalm of David. So here's what I believe, that Jesus quoted the first verse. That's what the scriptures and the gospels record. But his mind and his spirit was actually praying this entire psalm. See, Jesus lived in a culture that was an oral culture. The oral tradition was the tradition of thought and the tradition of conversation at the time. And in an oral tradition, what you do is, because paper is so expensive and written words are not as, as, as available as they are today, they're so rare, people memorize those texts. The scholars would go, read the scrolls, memorize them, and teach to the people uh, uh, from memory. And so it was, not, it, it was not rare, it was actually very common for a Jewish boy or girl that were growing up to learn the Psalms, memorize them, and as they were going about their life, as they were going about their day, and they walked everywhere, right? They didn't have vehicles. Uh, they would pray. They would recite the Psalms, and they would pray. So Jesus, it's not too far-fetched to, to think that Jesus knew this Psalm by heart and that he was praying this entire Psalm by heart. It's not unlikely to think that, and that's what I believe, and I'll show you why I believe that. The psalm continues, verse 2. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. 
In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. See, Jesus was not complaining. He wasn't cursing God. He was reaffirming his devotion to God. His heart was set on a psalm that said, Why have you forsaken me? But I still trust you. Why have you forsaken me? You are still God. Why have you forsaken me? Our forefathers trusted you and you delivered them. And I know that you're going to deliver me too. He was summoning strength and faith from the scriptures. Now, I have more to say about this. There's so much more to be said, but this psalm is so, so amazing. I want to continue to read because it connects us to the heart of Jesus, and, and it'll help us uh, as we go through our own challenges. Verse 6, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. You're going to start seeing some connections with, with the story of crucifixion for those of you who know. All who see me mock me, and they make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shed, uh, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of, my de of death. Now pay attention to this next part. Verse 16. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me, and they have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. It's right in there. It was written a thousand years before, and this is exactly what happened to Jesus. A thousand years old when Jesus quoted it. And now he was living it. He was spraying it, and he was living it. And scholars at the time would have known. As soon as Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those people who memorized the verse would immediately connect to this part we just read. Now, like I said a few weeks ago, church is a place to think. So I want you to put your thinking cap on, because we're going to go through a little bit of a theological part here that I want to share with you. Because I believe that as, as the scriptures enter our minds and shape our hearts, it'll help you pray better. It'll help you connect to God better. And I hope that today this message will enlarge your mind and enlarge the way you think about prayer and about the scriptures. The Apostle John begins his gospel by saying, In the beginning, Jesus was the Logos. And the Logos was with God. That is the Word of God. And the Logos was God. The Logos is the living Word. A word of God that creates and forms and shapes and connects to all things. What he meant to tell us as he began his gospel is that Jesus was in everything that has been written about creation and God's interaction with human, humankind in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible. What he means to say is that when Abraham made a covenant with God, Jesus was there. When Jacob wrestled with the angel, Jesus was there. When Moses received the Ten Commandments, Jesus was there. He was the Word. He was the Logos. When Samuel prophesied of the people, anointed David as king, Jesus was there. This is what John is implying. This is what John is teaching us. It also means that what, what, what Jesus was with David when David penned and wrote 
Psalm 22, when he sang Psalm 22. Jesus was with him in spirit, praying with him, inspiring him, and giving these prophetic words to write. And here's where I hope like you can receive and, and be encouraged and, and track with me because this might change the way you pray. I believe that when Jesus became a man and he let go of his heavenly existence and he became the Logos incarnate, being an example to us of how to be a child of God, bringing heaven to earth, the very words that he gave David a thousand years prior, we're now leading him. We're now strengthening and informing Jesus the man on the cross. And as the man, he had to have faith in the word of God. As a man, like you and me, at the cross, he prayed from the scriptures. And he set an example. And he prayed from the logos. And you and I, we need to do the same. We need to learn from Jesus and do the same. Just as Jesus' answer on the cross was the Logos, I believe Jesus' answer for us is the Logos as well. I know this is a little bit dense, and, and if you think about it and, and, and you connect it, uh, uh, I'm sure that you know, it'll become foundational to you. Because if you want to grow in spiritual things, and that's why we're here today, right? That's why you're watching. If you want to have your mind and your heart rooted in something deeper and more, more meaningful than the shallow things of this world. If you want to have a strong foundation, you've got to go beneath the surface. Beneath the surface of cultural Christianity. Beneath the surface of church life. And really draw some of these principles that Jesus just exemplified and lived for us. See, there's a way to connect to God that doesn't feel like a chore. There's a way to live for God that doesn't feel like religious dogma that's empty. There's a way to engage life with others that is, brings the best moments of victory and joy. And there's a way to engage life with others also in the worst moments of life that keeps you rooted and grounded in the truth. And Jesus, he showed us how. Right from the cross, right through his life, he showed us how. Now, I love when we get to the end of this psalm. Because at the end of this psalm, it's when it flips. It goes from lament to praise. And it's so awesome. So let's, let's go through it. I want, I want you to just, just focus in and be with me here because uh, I believe it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn some, some light bulbs on in your mind. So verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Verse 29. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That he has done it now look at us look at you watching online if who are we if not the families of those yet unborn who are we now if not the nations that are coming to worship him according to the scripture how could we be here if not for posterity telling of the lord to the coming generation it's been two thousand years since Jesus was on the cross. And here we are. Now I love the end of that psalm. 
because it says that he has done it. Now, the Amplified Translation changes that he has done it. And I know if you can guess what it says. It is finished. Jesus not only quoted the beginning of this psalm, but at the cross, he also quoted the last words of this psalm. That's why I believe that this psalm was in his heart. As he was suffering, as he was nailed to the cross, he was thinking about you, he was thinking about me, and he was thinking about the promise that the coming generations would tell of what had just happened. That the coming generations would tell about his great love and what was accomplished in the cross. That it was finished. What was finished? His life? What was finished? His ministry? No. What was finished is that what he was saying, Psalm 22, is now true. The ministry is now true. It's no longer a promise. The Old Testament, the things that, that they were expecting were no longer a promise, but it is now reality. This was no longer a prophecy. It had been fulfilled. The work is completed. Now let me get practical with you as we continue. Why did Jesus pray? He was on the cross. He was doing what he was set out to do. He could have just been silent. He could have just preached to the people. Why did he pray? And why did he pray Psalm 22? Very simply, this is what I believe. I believe that Jesus prayed because prayer connects us to God. And he was connecting to his heavenly father. He was connecting to the Lord. And I believe that he prayed the scriptures because our prayer needs to be shaped by God. Every single one of our prayers. James says that we pray and we do not receive because we pray according to our own desires and our passions. We pray for our own gain. Our prayer needs to be shaped by God. Our sense of truth, our sense of justice, our sense of right and wrong, our worldview, even our desires need to be shaped by God. And that's why the reading of the scriptures and the prayer go hand in hand. That's why we always encourage you to allow your life to be shaped by the scriptures and to come to God every single day and pray and open your heart and ask God to be your guiding light. Now some of you, you might have approached church and prayer and the scriptures like it's an acquired taste. You know, I, um, I lived in Texas for many years. And now I wasn't born in Texas. I was born in Brazil. But while in Texas, uh, a lot of, of life, adult life, was shaped by the Texas way of life. Now, uh, uh, when I got to Texas, one thing you need to know about Brazilians is that Brazilians are very proud of their food. Very proud. If you meet a Brazilian and you talk about food, uh, um, they're very proud of their food. So I come in, you know, super proud of my food. And every time, I, I, I kid you not, most people were just like, eh, it's all right. Eh. And for most of my friends, like, that were close enough to, you know, not feel like they were hurting my feelings, they're like, it's just bland, man. It, feels, it just feels like salt and pepper. That's it. You need some sazon. You need some sauce. You need some, some hot sauce, you know. So I started trying some of the, you know, I had friends that were from Mexico, friends that were from Colombia, friends that were from Puerto Rico, friends that were from India, friends that were from Africa, and started trying some of the other cuisines and, and some of the sauces and the hot sauces. I mean, you go to a Tex-Mex restaurant in Texas, we don't have good Tex-Mex here, guys. 
but you go to a Tex-Mex restaurant in Texas, it's amazing. I mean, you go to Chipotle in Texas, okay? Chipotle, which is like, for them, it's like, don't, you go there when you have nowhere else to go. And they don't have one kind of hot sauce. I mean, the Tabasco has a plethora of choices. You got barbecue, you got jalapeno, you got like all sorts of different hot sauces because they like flavor. They like the sauces. So I adapted. I mean, first time I had hot sauce, I'm like, give me some orange juice. But now you throw a little shalula. You don't even know what I'm talking about, right? Do you guys like you just I'm in pizza land, Italian food here, you know. But here's, here's what I mean. That's an acquired taste. We lived there long enough that now when I eat Tex-Mex, all the memories, all, I mean, and the taste, it's so good. But it was an acquired taste. But here's the problem with an acquired taste. When you catch an acquired taste, it might be bad in the beginning, but you keep trying, especially if it's something that you know you need, right? The doctor says, hey, you got you to eat this or you, you got to have uh, you know, which one is the, the big orange, the, the grape? Grapefruit. First time I tried grapefruit, oh my God. Everybody was saying, it's so healthy for you, you got to try it. It, was, it tasted so bitter to me. And then everybody was saying, oh, it's an acquired taste. You just keep having it, and then you'll like it eventually. And some people, they treat the Bible and the Scriptures like an acquired taste. You know you got to have it, but keep trying it, and eventually you'll like it. The problem with an acquired taste is that you only go to it when you feel like you need it. Like, I don't eat Tex-Mex all the time. We moved up here. There's no good Tex-Mex. I'm fine, man. We got Peruvian food. Praise Jesus. We got some other cuisines here that are great as well. But I don't, all, I don't go there every day. I don't need to have that food every day. We're fine with our salt and pepper. <laughs> what? Not, no pepper, yeah. Oh, for me, yeah. It's a whole thing. Yeah, it's an inside situation with the sodium. But that's not what this is. This is not an acquired taste. If you approach it with an acquired taste, then you're going to go like, all right, I, I, I kind of know how to pray. I kind of know how to read the Bible. Whenever I need, whenever I feel like I need it, I'll go to it. Whenever I need to kind of take it, I'll, I'll, I'll go to it. But life is good right now. I don't need it. It's more like riding a bike. I don't know if you remember when you were a kid. But when you became aware of yourself, all you needed to do was what? Walk. And maybe run a little bit, right? I feel like our kids, they don't walk anymore. They just run everywhere. But when you became aware of yourself, all you could do is walk. But you wanted to go places that were farther than your ability to walk, right? Especially in your teenage years when you got a little bit more freedom, depending on where you grew up. So what do you do? You go like, oh, if I learn how to ride a bicycle, I can go further with the same effort. I can use this mechanism to become mobile in a completely new way. And so you did it. You learned how to ride a bike. You partner with this mechanism to go further and faster in your, in your life. You used it as a vehicle. And at the beginning, all your attention was on the balance, the handlebar, and the pedaling, right? Can I stay on this thing without falling? But then as you learned, as you got it, as you connected to the bicycle, you learned that you couldn't go far in life without it. 
And then you learn how to drive a car, and it was the same thing with that. And that's what prayer and spending time with God is like. It might take a little bit of concentration at first. It might take a little bit of you disconnecting from this busy, busy, crowded, loud world. It might take you opening the scriptures and going like, all right, this is a whole new world for me. It's, it's kind of like learning a new language. I, I need to learn the language of faith. I need to learn the language of the spirit. I need to learn how to relate to this book. And it's six, six, 66 books. It's really a, 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 bibli a bibliography, like it's a collection of books. But as you begin to learn, as you begin to learn how to pray and to connect to God, and you get it, and it becomes second nature to you, you will realize that you can't really go anywhere in life far enough without it. You can't really receive direction from above without it. You can't really move in life without it. And I want to encourage you guys to really, really get through those, those first moments of, of connecting to God through prayer and Scripture and allow it to become part of your life. Because once you do, you realize this. You will never be praying alone. Every time you connect to God, God's presence right there with you. Taking away all the weights that, that are burdening you. All the worries. All the things that might be overwhelming. And giving you levity. And the ability to look at your life and plan your days. And, and, and move forward with faith. Look at what the Apostle Paul wrote. Chapter Eight of Romans verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought to. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows that the mind of the Spirit, knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I want to tell you today, you got to know that when you're weak, the Spirit of God is not condemning you when you're weak. The Spirit of God is not far from you. He's right there praying with you, interceding for you. That's what the Scripture says. That the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. Why do you think you're here today? Why do you think that you felt prompted to come to church and connect to God or watch online? It's not by chance that you're here. The Spirit of God is constantly interceding for you, speaking to you, reaching out to you. He continues, verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. Doing what? Who is indeed interceding for us. Jesus is interceding for you. Jesus is for you. You have an almighty God that is on your side. So will you engage life? Will you engage prayer? Will you engage a life with God that will bring meaning and satisfaction and fullness and purpose and guide you in every single one of your challenges so that you can pray to him, connect to God, and allow him to guide and shape your life as you go through those moments in life? Because if you do, you will learn this. You will never pray alone. See, prayer is not something that you do to God. Prayer is not even something that you do for God. Prayer is something that you do with God because he is with you. And life gets tiring. Our responsibilities can get overwhelming. Suffering can be great. It can be difficult to bear. We're just coming out of a 
horrible uh, uh, season of pandemic. And, and I feel like some of us are not even aware how much it has affected us emotionally, spiritually, in our minds. We're just trying to reconnect and remember the moments of joy and togetherness. And, and we're moving like that. And I think that one of the big, biggest problems is that we don't act like Jesus enough. We don't come to God and say, God, why have you forsaken me? Why has this happened? And then look to have God align our hearts. I think one of our big, biggest problems is that we act our feelings more than we pray our feelings. You shouldn't always act on your feelings. But you should always pray your feelings. It's so important. Too often we do the opposite. We act our bad feelings and we pray our best intentions. We feel, we share with nobody, we don't pray about it, and then we act out. And then we pray our best wishes. It kind of looks like this. Justine! You're getting me mad, Justine. I was going to say Justin, but Justine sounds funnier. You're getting me mad, Justine. Stop being a fool, Justine. And then we go, Lord Almighty, faithful one, Grant blessings upon the world and those who are suffering. May grace shine upon all on the earth. Such a beautiful prayer, right? And then next day, you're mad at Justine again. Because Justine and you just don't get along. And you yell at Justine again. Justine, get out of my face. You're a horrible friend. Nobody likes you. I hate you. Why do we have to go through this, Justine? Dear Almighty God, I'm so grateful for the air that I breathe. All the wonderful deeds. Doesn't it sound like, like I'm, I'm two people? <laughs> I'm teaching you a principle right from Jesus' life. That if you follow Jesus in this, if you act your best intentions, and you pray your worst feelings, there's going to be a change in the way you live your life in the way you approach your relationships, in the way you face your challenges. Tell God what bothers you about your marriage. Tell God what bothers you about your boss. Tell God that you don't like what's, what you're facing. Tell God what you don't like about your life right now. And then leave it to Him. Release it to Him. Yes, give Him praise. Yes, be grateful. Yes, give Him honor. All that good stuff. But also give God your troubles because Jesus came to give you heaven. So give Him your hell. It's okay. It's okay to give Jesus your hell. He asks you for it so that He can give you heaven. I want to close with the last four verses of this psalm. Which is a promise that I believe that when you connect to God and you live for Christ, it's fulfilled in your life. And when I'm done with this, we will have read the entire Psalm 22, everybody. And it's going to be great for you. Listen to this. Verse 23. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify Him. And stand in awe of Him, all you offspring of Israel. For He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. God hears. He listens. He wants you to bring your troubles to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. 
Keep acting according to the way that God called you to act. Last verse. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. See, this is what I believe. That when you come to Christ and you give him your worst and you connect to God and you allow the scriptures to shape your prayers, this is going to be us. You, 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 even though you might be afflicted, you will sense a release and a renewal from Almighty God in your life. And you will see that he is with you. I want you to remember that God is for you. God is for you. And that when you connect to God, when you pray, when you seek to put him first and you follow Jesus' example from the cross, you will never, ever pray alone. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Worship team, you can come.